0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey
1: everybody, this is Taylor with a quick word of warning up front. It seems like about... 30 seconds into the show uh, I think something bumped my mixing board and the audio increased so there are times in this episode where I'm going to sound a little distorted a little bit louder than normal just wanted you to know that we are aware that that was an issue it will not happen again it shouldn't impact your listening enjoyment too much if it does I apologize uh, but again it just sounds a little bit distorted here and there just wanted to make people aware of it so that we didn't get a bunch of tweets about it uh, but with that said I hope you enjoy today's episode with myself and Mr ryan bailey hello everybody and welcome to the total soccer show it is monday and this is sort of a weekend review it's an international review and to help me talk about all the games that have happened this weekend is mr ryan bailey hello ryan bailey
2: Hello, Tate. You know what? In this life, we only get 52 weekends in a year. And gosh darn it, I love those international break weekends. Aren't they the best? Aren't they wonderful? Yes, yes, yes. Fun.
1: I do not always enjoy the first international break of the season, nor the second one. This was our first one, though it occurred in November. But this time around, I found that even weirder because of COVID, because of the closed stadiums, because of the questions of, like, does this really need to be happening? I think some games did more so than others. Was this an odd break for you, Ryan?
2: Yes, I think the oddness of this break was definitely more pronounced, definitely from the empty stadium aspect. You looked at, say, Mm Ukraine-Germany, where they had 20,000 fans in there, and... I think like 20,000 Vuvuzelas as well, which was quite frustrating from a viewer perspective. (laughs) Or some kind of, maybe they were blowing, like, you know when you get tissue paper and put it on a comb and just blow it? Maybe they were were all doing that. They were doing something annoying. Uh, So we should definitely ban fans from all stadiums once again. Um, No, in in seriousness, like, that was was fairly comforting hearing fans in that stadium again. But then, like, La Bombonera, where Argentina played Ecuador on Friday... That, I think, is the strangest stadium I've seen yet without fans. To see that stadium, which is usually, you know, shaking from side to side with no one in it, it just felt very odd. And it all felt very training gamey, didn't it?
1: It did. I know what you mean, both in terms of the the quiet being slightly odd, but then also, I guess I never realized how many stadiums are built for, like, obviously for fans to be in them, but to look right only when fans are in them. And to your point about La Bombonera, there are just, like, walls and, and divisions that exist there in order to keep fans apart and to have, like, allow for standing, but allow for people not to get crushed. And when you don't have people there, it just looks weird. It looks like weird walls and lines that don't necessarily need to be there, but obviously are because when you have fans, they're necessary. So some of that architecture, I think, I also wasn't quite aware of until you don't have fans there to cover.
2: Yeah, definitely, and I think some nations maybe were slightly aware of that Spain, I think, for example, they didn't play in a big stadium, mm-hmm. they didn't play in uh, Bernabeu or, or the new Camp, and it kind of looked—it looked a bit like Real Madrid using their training ground for league games. It was yeah. a bit more, bit more suitable. But I think the greater issue here, as much as we can talk about the weirdness of having no fans, which we should be pretty used to by this point, the whole weirdness thing for me, Taylor, is actually why this international break. Is taking place. I mean, a lot of, uh, say, like the Australasian World Cup qualifiers were postponed. They didn't have a break this time. Australia didn't play, for example. Why and and uh, you know wh- why did we have the South American World Cup qualifiers starting in this break? What did it need to happen at this point when we're in October twenty twenty for a uh, late twenty twenty two World Cup tournament and the Nations League as well, Taylor? I mean, I've come around to it from initial skepticism. But in this international break, it just, I don't know how appropriate it is to have all these international players being ferried all around the continent and even further afield for other kinds of games during a pandemic it just seems like it's asking for trouble a little bit doesn't it it does i think this
1: goes back to a point like i think daryl and i stressed when stuff started to reopen when games started to begin again is that we're gonna have to have some flexibility we're gonna have to be okay with things not being ideal because i don't think we're ever gonna get back to that ideal in the short term uh so we're gonna have weird schedules and fixture congestion and things of that nature I am still with you, though, that with that in mind, this seemed like an odd weekend because you had the Nations League games, but then you had some federations choosing not to play, as you said. My assumption with Common Bowl would be that the way they have things scheduled and with so many players spread around the world, as they so often are when it comes to Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, uh, Chile, whomever else. uh, So I'm guessing that's part of it is that they've got to try to fit these things in. They've got the schedule. They know what they need to get done in order for World Cup qualifying to be complete on time they do have the cushion of of it being in the fall instead of the summer so there's that but I think even as things stand we're still going to get like the international intercontinental playoff uh, I believe is the the title we're going to get that like after the world cup draw already so I'm I'm assuming that's why you can't move things around as much it was still just a weird thing like it can things can be two things it can be odd and and required at the same time But yes, especially I think you pointed out like in Brazil where you have what over 2 million people uh, or 5 million cases, excuse me, 150,000 plus deaths to have Brazil playing in Brazil, sending players back to an area that is not yet like really dealing with the virus properly. Uh, You know, uh, pot calling the kettle black being from the United States. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm quarantining. I'll say that much. So I think it was it was it that also probably made it a little bit stranger that some of these games were being played in some of the locations they were.
2: Yeah, I think for me, this is an opportunity to bring in something a little different and something which I've actually touted before in written form, should you wish to go and find it, is to make, say, World Cup qualification, for example, a tournament Mm -hmm. in its own right and make it stage it in the odd year before the World Cup. So 20, summer 2021, yeah. make it all. I it's impractical with the Euros in this, in this instance, but there's a there's a there's a case for condensing all the qualifiers together into a short tournament style period. I think, and this might have been a good time to execute that. You could have even done it in the summer of 2022, couldn't you? For this tournament, for you example.
1: could. I like then then you run into the issue of if you're going to have the Euros in the off year, like how how do you make things work? I, I it's it's more more to the point, I guess. It's a frustrating thing. Of that makes sense to me, but then. And I instantly think of the ideas of like, oh, but then you're going to have players complaining that they never have a season off. They never have a summer off like, or fully off. They're always going to have major competitions. But then you've got to be flexible in the COVID era. But then are we being to, like, I don't know. It's, it's the hard thing about the world we live in right now that for every solution, it feels like it then creates other problems. And basically, we're just not going to ever have the ideal scenario, at least not right now. This is kind of a depressing way to begin. But I think it was sort of hanging over me as I watched all these games.
2: I I think you're completely wrong there. I mean, look at Alexis Sanchez. He played major tournaments every year for like six years. (laughs) He's still at the very top of his game. He looks amazing. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, Chile uh, get I think a draw. We'll talk. A l- I'm going to talk a little bit more about South American qualifying uh, later on in the week with Felipe Cardenas. You and I are going to talk a little bit about it on today's show. But why don't we start with some games that did happen? Uh, let's go to say England, Belgium. Uh, a good result for England, and yet simultaneously maybe also not a great result for England.
2: Yeah, on paper, this looks very good. England beat the number one ranked team in the world. Yes, Belgium, lest we remind you, are the number one ranked team in the FIFA rankings at the moment. It means that England go top of the group in the Nations League because apparently that is an important objective for England. And, you know, a home win and having only one goal conceded, I believe, in the calendar year of 2020 for this team looks very good. However, if you took a cursory glance at actually looking at the game itself, not so hot. This mm. was not classic England. This actually no. I let me rescind that. This was classic England. Yeah. This was not the England we'd gotten used to at say the twenty eighteen World Cup.
1: Yes, I think you're right to say it was sort of classic England, except that uh, there's a great uh, breakdown of this result in the Athletic, where they kind of point out that it's classic England, except that they got a result. And England mm-hmm. historically, I think you have to go back pretty far to find a time when they were able to beat a a top tier opponent at at international level. Like you have moments here and there, but generally speaking, there haven't been that many. And so this was sort of England being a bit more defensive, a bit more stodgy, uh, if you will. But still at the same time getting a result. So in some ways, I understand it feels like one of those games like Gareth Southgate is having in which he's really happy with the results, but then also sort of confused by the reaction from, from some fans, some members of the media who didn't enjoy the way England played, who didn't think it was a particularly aesthetically pleasing game. I think that that sort of uh, juxtaposition makes a little bit more sense when you look at what England were trying to do and how it wasn't necessarily yeah. the prettiest of things.
2: I think I've seen this game referred to as a Steve Bruce win, which is very gritty and, you know, relying on set pieces, which is fair enough. It got the job done. Here's a quote for you, Taylor, from Gareth Southgate. We can be a free-flowing, free-scoring team, but against the very best, the detail of how you defend as a team has got to be absolutely bang on. In the second half, we got that right. In the first half, we struggled. So he's kind of justifying the overly defensive uh, layout of this team and rightly saying that the team did improve in the second half. And I'm fine for you to say that, against the very best teams i.e. the number one team in the FIFA rankings you could shut up shop a little bit and maybe sit back a little bit but this exact issue came up in the other Nations League games against Denmark against Iceland which were also not very convincing and can I make my major statement of the podcast so far Taylor I'm gonna say that England are Germany
1: interesting so you have won the World Cup and you're uh, looking like a cohesive team with lots of talented players
2: yeah, we we make wonderful automobiles. Uh, no, we we did avoid um, England becoming Germany in a, around 1945. But I mean it's more in the <laughs> soccer sense, in the uh, basically the same formations, the same under-fire managers, the same Dow play, the same repetition of uh, of player positions. let so, say, so, so, so look at England starting three right backs, only having one left-footed player on the field, uh, not an outfield player, uh, and doing that three-four-three three or three-four. 2-1, I suppose you could call it, but not really using the wing-backs as wing-backs and having players not really in their most comfortable natural positions. Then you go over to Germany, same formation, yep. basically a 3-4-3, three, 3-4-2-1, four, three, three, four, and basically five centre-backs, and not using wing-backs as you should do, and having a manager under fire, and having sort of a consensus among the fans, Taylor, that both, both teams won this weekend, but maybe a loss would have been better for the long-term future of those teams because it might cause some more action both managers sort of uh, arguably not up to the post uh, which is a very tough thing to say about yogi love having achieved what he's achieved but there's a sense uh, which we can get to when we talk about that game later that he might be uh, a little past it um but go- going back to england i think i think that you know the idea of playing sort of defensive dour soccer and using a formation which has the potential to be used in a sprightly attacking way, but not doing so was the issue.
1: So to clarify, because I think I misunderstood you in the beginning there, when you're saying England are, are, did you say the new Germany or just England are Germany? They are Germany. One and the There same. we are. Okay, that my, that was my mistake then. I apologize. So you're basically saying the criticisms that you could levy on one, you could maybe extend to the other right now?
2: Ja. yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think my the difference for me is that England aren't Germany. <laughs> oh. we're, we're doing a lot of innovative uh, podcasting here, <laughs> uh, but just that like England haven't had the kind of success that Germany have had. Yes, the 2018 World Cup does not go well for Germany; it goes better for England. But I think historically, obviously, the number of World Cups won would indicate that. I think Germany. There is more reason in my mind to be frustrated with this current team, especially if you are German. Whereas with England, I do think this is still Southgate experimenting and trying to adapt. And when we talk about like evolution of teams, I think there's always this idea that they're evolving to this next level of being this really exciting, creative team. And I don't necessarily think that's always true. I think especially in the international game, you can be evolving towards an ideal tournament team. Jonathan Liu, writing for The Guardian, made this point really well that this felt like a team that weren't there to impress and play this really sophisticated brand of attacking pretty soccer. It was to win a tournament game, and that's why you go back three, you put Harry Winks and Jordan Henderson in front, you play a lot of center backs, as you said, and it feels like a dress rehearsal for playing defensively against a team that you expect to have a lot of the ball and create a lot of chances. And to Mm -hmm. some extent, that's how this went down. England may be fortunate with the penalty decision to get back into it, but I think that's where Gareth Southgate is probably feeling optimistic that they're able to nullify this aggressive attack from Belgium, the number one ranked team in the world. I think that's probably where he's feeling more optimistic than, say, Yogi Lowe in Germany's win over Ukraine.
2: That's fair enough, and to to kind of go on that angle, there's sort of a, Germany have a reputation of not playing wonderfully in friendlies, if we can call this a friendly. They certainly treated the last Nations League not super important, having been relegated from it yikes even though they're not relegated anymore because they changed it and the Nations League's a bit of a sham but hey there we go that's another conversation but I think my point (laughs) is Taylor England and Germany being one and the same if you look at where they are in October 2020 neither of them seem terribly close to doing some damage at Euro 2021 I think Portugal and France seem kind of Quite far ahead of them, is that fair to say?
1: It is. I, I would say this, though, like, 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 not to be sticking the mud here, but I think if if we're getting good soccer at the next Euros, then yes, they're far off. But if this is a preview of the type of soccer we're going to get, which is you're going to have a lot of players coming off of a rough season, a compact and yet somehow lengthened season because of the number of games. I think you're going to have injuries. You're going to have fatigue. Mm. I have a sneaking suspicion that the next Euros are not going to be particularly fun. I think it's going to be a lot of defensive games where like Belgium in this game didn't have Aiden Hazard. They're missing a few other key players. I think that's a probably good insight into how this team is going to look come the Euros, I think that's gonna be the case for a lot of teams. You're gonna have fatigue, you're gonna have players injured or not like or left out of the squad entirely. Again, we'll talk about that when we talk about Germany. But if this is a sign of what's to come of sort of stodgy defensive soccer where you're putting people behind the ball you're making your opponent beat you you're looking for the counters you're looking for individual performers to shine then maybe england and germany are positioning themselves well if we're still going to get some teams playing good soccer cohesive attacking soccer which i think we will then i'm with you that maybe they're a little bit further back than they would like to be is that is that a fair way to kind of break it out
2: i think the tldr of what you just said there was things are gonna be great but not great to watch yeah yeah (laughs) but on that note, there's, there's something else that bothered me about this. It's the whole debate about Mason Mount getting in the team over someone like Jack Grealish. And this is something we've seen for decades, for absolute decades in the England team, this reticence to field a maverick player to field a creative player it would have been nice to have someone and at least as an option having Jack Grealish there um as a creative outlet but we've seen over the years that you could probably name only a couple of really creative players who made it with the England side Paul Gascoigne I can think of for example and you think of players like Glenn Hoddle uh uh, Matt Letizia it's telling how far
1: back you're going first of all
2: well yeah exactly though there is that but yeah Matt Matt Letizia one of the best Premier League players of all time played a couple of England games. Rodney Marsh, going back even further, extremely talented, only a few England games. These kind of maverick number 10-ish uh, skillful players don't ever get given a chance in this team which likes to be a bit more conservative in its approach, and I think that's, it's a little disappointing to see that continuing with this game. Where, where would you like, So, and maybe it requires an entire formation change, but say we
1: stick with the Southgate... 3-4-3-5-2-3, uh, mm. which had Rashford on the left left side, Mason Mount on the right, Dominic Calvert lewin up top. Where where would you like Jack Grealish to get some minutes to get some opportunities, or do you think it requires Southgate changing things up to get him into that team? Couldn't it not just be a straight switch for Mount? I suppose that, that's what I'm asking. So you, you think, because I guess that's the confusing thing, right, is if we're talking about, like, oh, he's not making time for a, a young, exciting English attacking player... But we're then putting in Grealish at that, like instead of Mason Mount, like that. I guess that's what I mean is that I think that attack doesn't necessarily give you as many opportunities to get a lot of those promising youngsters in. So to some extent, it always necessitates leaving out a few because of the defensive approach.
2: Yeah, that's fair enough. And I think nobody, has, nobody's going to be completely happy when these kind of lineups came out. But I just thought I would have, I'd like to have seen a more creative outlet. And mm-hmm. I know that there's a big love in about. Jack Grealish, who is you know, you can call him a soup de jour mid-table favorite at the moment. If you if you're going to be harsh on him, but I think he could do could have done a really good job in this team and livened up this game a little bit. Yeah, you know what? Actually, you may have just made me a believer in the five seconds there because <laughs> I mean, like if if we're talking
1: about England being a bit more defensive in their approach against this top tier opposition, if we do think the Euros are going to be a less aesthetically pleasing tournament then maybe Aston Villa are a good blueprint for what England should be doing, which is – being defensive looking to smash on the counter and Jack Grealish does pretty well with Aston Villa at least of late so maybe your point is well taken that if you want to kind of emulate the Aston Villa blueprint it makes sense to put in a player who does very well for Aston Villa Um, and I'm guessing we will get to see more of him England obviously have another game this week Uh, I don't know if we'll see say Harry Kane Jose Mourinho desperate for Harry Kane not to play so who knows what happens there but I also think that maybe England fans can take some solace in the idea that for this team I think Dominic. David Covert-Lewin doing similar things to what Harry Kane would be doing and not looking so off the pace. I don't think Dominic Covert-Lewin had a great game against, uh, against Belgium. I think there were some chances maybe he could have done a little bit better with. He could have been a little bit better in his holdup, but there are moments like he has a really good flick when England are trying to play out of the back. Belgium overcommit. there's a long ball in. I think he wins a header over two different Belgian defenders and flicks it on for Marcus Rashford to launch a counterattack. I thought he did a really good job in that regard of linking and holding up play and being physical and battling for chances and still doing what he could to create some of his own. But I, I think mm. that is another thing that maybe England fans can feel somewhat optimistic about is that there is an uh, an option if Harry Kane cannot go. I'm not saying Dominic Calvert-Lewin is at Harry Kane's level, but I, I was impressed with some of the things I saw If he had been a little bit sharper, I would have been much more impressed.
2: I thought he did a perfectly good job, and I think you, you can definitely make the case that he did a better job than Harry Kane would have for 90 minutes in yeah. this instance. And also, I think it's kind of... You're comparing him to Romelu Lukaku on the other side of the field, who, yeah, was, a bit <laughs> who looked really good, didn't he, and just looked really fast at times and quite impressive. And let's give credit to Belgium in this game as well, because they started... The first 10 minutes, they didn't really know where they were, and then they slowly got into this game more and more, and I thought they were very impressive. The front three was very impressive. Kevin De Bruyne is outrageous. Mm-hmm. There was that... Uh, that pass and I think sort of the 70, 75th minute where he put through, was it Carrasco I think he put through who, put, who nod, nodded the ball wide? Yep. Well, not nodded the ball, he sort of tapped the ball wide. Carrasco had two or three really solid chances that could have absolutely buried this game. So if his finishing was better, I think um, this would be very, a very different story on a Monday to be talking about. And just but, to jump um, in
1: really quickly, that would be Yana Carrasco starting because Aiden Hazard cannot. So yeah, you throw a fully fit, ready-to-go Aiden Hazard into that team, I think there's maybe more goals. Because who can't start? Uh, Aiden Hazar, who's that? (laughs) Oh, you're you're not familiar with him. He's this guy. He used to be very good, and now I think he still plays somewhere in Spain. Huh.
2: I'll have to look into that. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie.
1: You were so genuine there for a moment that I got nervous. That I was like, is he is he Dutch? Did I get it wrong?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for that. Pull you out on radio.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think I've done that like once or twice before in the past. Insisted a player played for I don't know one country when they played for another one. But here I got it right. Sorry, I interjected though. (laughs) Uh, You were saying more about this Belgium team.
2: I'd finished on my Belgian team rant, but basically just saying this could have been a very different story because this was an impressive team. You can see why they are highly ranked in Europe, which still feels incredible saying that about a team coached by Roberto Martinez, but here we are.
1: Agreed. (laughs) I also think maybe a little bit hard done. There was no VAR in this one. There's a very late offside call on an early goal that was not meant to be. I think replays for Carrasco, I think replays showed he was onside is what I saw. The commentators doing that like... Yeah, it's, uh, he's offside, I think. I was like, you both know that he is not. Uh, but it, it does not end up mattering uh, because England get that win. Uh, Marcus Rashford with the penalty. Mason Mount with uh, the goal in the 64th minute. Uh, and it does take, I believe, a, a, a decent deflection. Am I remembering that correctly?
2: Big old deflection yeah. on the goal and the penalty. Very softly won, yeah. I think you could say. A that feels like
1: tournament quite- football to me, man.
2: Uh, yeah, very much. So Jordan Henderson sort of t- making the most of some contact from, it was Thomas Meunier, wasn't yeah. it? Who after the game, I don't know if you saw the clip, sort of went up to Henderson and was joking and sort of uh, sh- showing him how he went down, uh, which uh, I recommend you look up. But, uh, and Jordan Henderson seemed to be taking it, finding it very hilarious and maybe it wasn't intended in that fashion. But uh, it's, yeah, you can, that's another angle to look at this game. England got two very fortunate goals to win it as well. Hey, but you know what? you got you got to take the chances you can. I
1: think Jordan Henderson as well is not a player that... He strikes me as a person who's never going to be that lighthearted after a result. I feel like he's taking that that Klopp inspiration to heart. So even if he had uh, gone down easily, I'm sure he wouldn't want to admit it right after the game. But England, with the win, uh, they are top of their group in the Nations League, which uh, I'm sure Daryl will be pumped about even if Ryan is less excited about the Nations League. Are you excited about it at all, or is it just this time around it feels weird?
2: I think, as I say, I'm on board with it. But, like, say when you think of Portugal, Mm -hmm. who won the last one, I think of them as the European champions. I I barely remember that they won the Nations League. I I think it's still a bit of a footnote in in, in terms of the whole game, right?
1: Uh, Yes, in that I... Could not tell you who had won it. That said, that is, I think, (laughs) the way we began this show. It's just a strange thing because it's been so long. Like, Brazil, I think this is their first international game since November of last year. Like, it's been so long, and yet so many random things and non-random things have happened in that time period that it's tough to keep track of everything. We're going to try to keep track of all the other games that happened. Uh, But first, we're going to take a moment to talk about today's sponsors. Let's start with Artifact Ryan Bailey Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about the important people or things in your life. You can think of it like your favorite podcast, but about whatever you want. So any topic you want, you can set up an artifact to uh, be recorded and then you're ending up with a professional product that sounds like this American Life episode. (laughs)
2: <laughs> does ira glass come and do it for you is that part of the deal
1: it's just george doing his best ira glass i think no Aww. i think they have different interviewers maybe ira glass one day but i i would like it if they were all sort of doing an ira glass impression
2: george i think he'd do a very good ira glass and artifact is a wonderful service i think it's this very unique mm-hmm. situation here where you might you might look back at photographs and things like that but these days why not have a podcast to relay your memories and have a story told professionally by an irograss impersonator? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my own artefact, Taylor. I think I might do one about my podcasting and have oh, yeah? George sit in while I podcast with you and sort of commentate over it, oh, lightly boy. talking in the background of TSS episodes. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs>
1: Uh I think it could be I think it could be fun. I like the idea of George sitting in. George asked us some uh when Daryl and I did the the one for the TSS origin story, which you can find at heyartifact.com slash TSS. Uh there were some questions in there that I think were de- designed to provoke, to sort of poke at us a little bit and see what would happen. I don't think we took the bait too much, but yeah, I can envision George sitting in and then being like Now now Ryan, it seemed like you didn't like that transition there. Uh what did you make of that moment? George's trying to instigate is I guess what I'm getting at.
2: Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. actually, yeah, let's scrap that. I don't want to do that. Good idea. I'm going to talk about my parents instead.
1: If, while Ryan scraps that and comes up with new ideas, if you have an idea of your own, The Athletic currently are running a contest. If you go to heyartifact.com slash TSS contest, if it's not up today, it will be up very soon. Uh, Basically, they want people to go there and tell Artifact about what they would like to use Artifact for. uh, And then uh, if you do submit one, they're going to do a random drawing at the end. I believe the plan is that the person who wins gets that random drawing, will be uh, getting a a free Artifact or a very discounted Artifact. But uh, that you... URL should be active, heyartifact.com slash TSS contest. You can go there, talk about an idea you had or what you think could be a good idea for an artifact to give them some new ideas, some new areas. If you want to schedule one of your own, you can do so at heyartifact.com, and you can use the promo code TSS to get $40 off. That's heyartifact.com, and use the promo code TSS to get $40 off. Thank you very much to Artifact for sponsoring this. this episode. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Ryan, I know you have priors with LinkedIn. I have prior priors with LinkedIn. What what do you make of their new services? What do you make of LinkedIn?
2: What I find, Taylor, is that small businesses have unique needs, and despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. And I can attest to this, Taylor, as a user of this here service, I think of all the job sites and I am a, I'm a freelance person, I do tend to look around at what opportunities are out there. And LinkedIn Jobs, I really think is the best because it tailors automatically when you pull up LinkedIn.com slash jobs, it tailors all of the uh, job offerings to your location and to your experience on your LinkedIn profile. So it's done all of the input work for you. And you can change the location if you want to move somewhere else. I'm a big fan of it, Taylor.
1: What are the things you're usually – like if you, Ryan, or people who are freelancers are interested in getting into creating soccer content, being involved in the soccer media landscape, what are the things you look for? As you said, you look for like uh, proximity to your residence, I'm assuming. But yep. are, you, are you going marketing? Are you going media? Are you – like what are the, the kind of things you're looking for, the keywords that clue you in? Not to keywords. give away all your secrets.
2: Can include uh, editorial, mm-hmm. social media, digital content, uh, video production.
1: Not, not podcasting
2: because I'm very happy in my podcasting role right now. Oh, that's <laughs> and all good. those kind of things are the ones you can look for.
1: All right. You can look for those. And when your business is ready to make the next hire, you can find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash TSS. Again, that's linkedin.com slash TSS to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do apply as they are wont to do. But thank you to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode. Ryan, let's get back to the weekend that was some of the international break. We've I alluded a lot to Ukraine 1, Germany 2. Should we talk about that one for a moment?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, Ukraine played England um, in Kiev. <laughs> uh, it was 2-1 on Saturday. I don't know if you saw it. I've mentioned there was a lot of Vuvuzela noise. There were 20,000 fans allowed into this one. This might have been the most attended game, if I'm not mistaken. It feels like it would be. Anyway, right. um, This was uh, uh, Germany overtaking Ukraine in uh, Nations League A Group 4, which is the vital info which we all need from this, of course. (laughs) This is Germany's first ever Nations League win. And this, once again, makes a mockery of this competition a little bit because you might remember Germany in the last Nations League were relegated yep. from uh, the top uh, top flight <laughs> from Group A. Uh, Croatia, Iceland and Poland were also relegated. But hey, they all got a do-over because they expanded the, uh, the League A from 16 teams to 12 teams, uh, thus uh, really giving a wonderful boost to the credibility credibility of this competition and the integrity as well. So Germany yeah. back in it, uh, getting their first win in this competition. Also, one other note I'll say off the top, I'd forgotten that Andrei Shevchenko was Ukraine's coach and it was delightful to see him.
1: See, that's the type of thing that like I do love about the international break and I think w- was even more on display here because of the, the gap we've had with some of these teams that like, oh right, Shevchenko's around. That's exciting. That's a fun thing to see. Um, I thought this game was really interesting because I watched it not knowing the sort of background of Germany and the current situation of Germany, and it felt Mm -hmm. like a very standard road international, that Germany... Playing at Ukraine in the COVID times, it's not the most impressive result. They're not tearing the doors off or anything like that, but it's kind of workmanlike. They get the result. It's two to one, and yeah, it's all fine. I mean, like, And even this is how far removed I was, that I was like, I mean, and they're doing this without Thomas Muller. I'm assuming that's due to fatigue. And then kind of remembering after the fact with some of the criticisms that came in that, no, he has just been removed from the squad. Yogi Lowe yeah. no longer calling him, no longer calling Boateng or Mats Hummels after 2018 suddenly this result which looked like yeah okay they got a result good stuff for Germany you look at it in that context and in the context of former national players like Schweinsteiger making some comments and suddenly it's a weird thing where they're still being Germany you're still seeing them get results here and there but there is this idea that Yogi Lowe has maybe gotten a little bit long in the tooth
2: yeah I think there is this we we, we know what Germany are like we know that you know they've won a World Cup without basically having a striker and Mm -hmm they we know that they're not all out attacking and they do do things quite sensibly but there's there's similar issues here as i mentioned to with england like playing five center backs in your team basically with your with your back five and not making the most of i mean germany have quite a lot of attacking talent why not do a 433 or a 4231 and try and go for it a little, a little bit more in this and make more of that really good Kimmich Kroos double pivot in the middle and you know um, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz only came on in the last 10 minutes of this game and otherwise you've got Serge Nabry up front on his own who's a perfectly capable player but I would suggest maybe not the ideal candidate for that role and there, there is, as you say, a lot of criticism coming out of Germany of Jürgy Love, and it's building a little bit. With, uh, as you alluded to, Bastian Schweinsteiger critici- criticizing Yogi Love. He said, "You can no longer identify one hundred percent with the national team, and that's sad." So he's he's, you know, framing this as an issue of identity that his team is almost losing its identity. And Jürgy Love, maybe his time has come. I mean, it sounds like sacrilege to say it after everything he's achieved. As I said earlier in the show, but. I don't know, Taylor. What do you think? Do you think that they could do a little fresh lick of paint? Maybe a, certainly a manager with a slightly more edgy haircut than Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the
1: the turtleneck and helmet hair look like I think before we started recording, I said it reminded me of Anton Chigurh if he wore a turtleneck. It, it looks good when you're like sort of young and vibrant, and you're the young upstart, and it's like oh, everyone's wearing the same thing. You have a uniform. It's Steve Jobs. You don't want to, have to think about what you're wearing. Yeah. You just want to think about the results on the pitch. Yes, there is a moment where it's like oh, we're sti- still still. still know that like suddenly he does look
2: a little bit outdated that's more of a wardrobe selection issue to me it looks like Taylor if if the movie Anchorman had a librarian in it (laughs) that would would be him (laughs) he'd be playing it
1: And it would have to be a German librarian. That is the way they would go. So yes, I think that's a great shout. Uh, The other part of Schweinsteiger's quote that I thought was also pretty revealing, I would have liked to see one more player in midfield or up front. I would have played with four at the back instead of five. That would be good for the game. Uh, Yeah, and then the results aren't as they should be. The attractiveness is lacking a bit. I I think there's been a lot of of the idea that uh, Hansi Flick was a Yogi Lowe assistant that now he's mm. with Bayern Munich there used to be the narrative that like maybe Yogi Lowe was Jurgen Klinsmann's genius in t- 2006 i like that now it's Hansi Flick was Yogi Lowe's genius and there's been much speculation that maybe they should just play the same way as Bayern Munich. I think the thing there would be, you said Serge Gnabry started up front for Germany in this game. They don't have Robert Lewandowski. He plays for Poland. I don't mm. think that you can do what Bayern Munich do and not have Robert Lewandowski in there. They certainly don't have Thomas Muller for reasons I already mentioned. So I think that that's sort of just an oversimplification. Not saying that you did, you did that, Ryan, but some of the analysis has been like, well, you have the best club team in the world. Just do what they do. Yeah. But I think that that fundamentally does not work for Germany. So I think this is Yogi. Low, trying to figure it out. The analogy that I think fits better in my mind is Lucy and Favre at uh, Borussia Dortmund. That they can consistently do well, they consist, and they can blow some teams out of the water. They can have big results against big opposition, and yet there are still just those moments of like, but this doesn't feel like as good as it could be. This doesn't seem as though they're playing at that next level that they need to be. Maybe it is time for a change just to get this team functioning at 100% capacity as opposed to 80% capacity. So that's maybe the argument for why there should be some change coupled with what I think they still aren't getting particularly good results. Uh, Prior to this result, three straight draws against Spain, Turkey and uh, Switzerland. The Turkey result they concede goals in the dying moments. So there is that kind of idea that maybe we need somebody to come in with fresh ideas, with a fresh look for the team, reintegrate some players that have been frozen out. All that to say, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think that they're going to want to get rid of him before the Euros. And I think even if the Euros go poorly, I don't know if you, Germany, can sort of change things on the fly with the World Cup following that next summer. I, I honestly think that even if things don't really drastically improve for Germany, we're going to see Yogi Low at the 2022 World Cup.
2: Yeah, and it it does seem like I mean, they could have they could have pulled the trigger after the last World Cup, couldn't they? It was mm-hmm. a Tony Kroos free kick goal away from being a pretty big disaster if my memory yep. serves me correct on Germany's campaign there. But we look at this game Taylor, and let's be fair to Germany—they'd have lots of chances. Uh, Ukraine's goalkeeper uh, made a lot of great saves in this game, yep. and I believe he's maybe their fourth choice because if you're following the narrative uh, in their midweek game, they had to include their 45-year-old retired goalkeeping coach in the squad because uh, they, they lost their other three uh, three first-choice keepers uh, for testing positive for COVID. So uh, stepping up in a big time was was um, mm-hmm. was Ukraine's goalkeeper, but
1: Bushan. this is. He yeah, also, sure. but see, then he also drops the ball onto the head of Goretzka for the for the winning goal, or yeah. what proved to be I, the winning goal. So even with a strong he performance, he not have a perfect
2: one because he did very much <laughs> cause that goal and uh, had a big boo boo. But otherwise, was pretty good, I would say. But let's let's uh, you know this is this is a Ukraine side who got absolutely tanked seven one by mm-hmm. France. This is basically a Ukraine B team, and yep. Germany are just effectively scraping by them, and that by any measures of the German national team is not good enough.
1: Yeah. I, I mean I, I understand I understand that point as well. I kind of forgot that they got tonked as badly as they did. I would say that one maybe not that big of a difference, but that is them playing away to France. It is still, I believe, roughly the exact same shape of a kind of a, a defensive four one four one. And so with those like outliers put into place I think that you're not wrong that a, a France team that comes out in a back four with Olivier Giroud and Anthony Martial and kind of go at Ukraine and try to be attacking and proactive get seven goals so maybe we can still look to France to play some exciting soccer though their results this weekend maybe not necessarily indicating that but so yeah I think if you if you do sort of look at those two results maybe that does strengthen the argument that Yogi Low needs to freshen things up or try some new things because it worked for France it didn't really work so well for Germany
2: freshen things up try some new things and we're not just talking about the haircut yogi no
1: we're not although we can talk about that too because although think you should definitely also
2: that. should do that yes
1: <laughs> but so what do you think ryan would you like to if you were suddenly the head of, of the german fa would you be like aggressively investigating other coaching options
2: if I was the head of the German FA, and God willing, I will be one day, Taylor, then probably I would. I think I think you're right in saying that now not the time because you have to give Jurgen this 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 uh, this process through to at least the Euros, which you know, without COVID, maybe he would have been taking a walk by now. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it, I think the, the decision has to be made next summer now because it would be too much of a mess to change it now. They're not Spain; they're not changing their coach two days before a tournament or anything like that. They're too organised for that.
1: All right, all right. So we'll see what happens there. Let's stick with France, though, for a moment, because France do destroy Ukraine 7-1 in that friendly. Uh, That was, what, yeah, I guess last week, October 7th. Dates are all meaningless. Time is all meaningless. What did you make of their game uh, against Portugal?
2: Uh, This was, I believe, the most even game of all time. This was the World Cup champions (laughs) against the European champions. You know, the billing for this one's pretty good. Did you see the stats? that uh, they're all like what the exact same 10 shots each three shots on targets each possession 49 51 in portugal's favor passes 572 to 580 portugal's favor pass accuracy 86 to 88 in portugal's favor so portugal edging this one on the stats by the narrowest of margins um the, the, i don't know what did you think of this game taylor it was it was i thought portugal looked very good i thought they looked annoyingly as if they're probably going to win Euro 2020. Good. I think that was my main takeaway from this game.
1: W- what, what makes you feel that way? Because given what we've already said about what the Euros could be and how it tends to be teams that... I mean, you look at Portugal's last Euro championship, and it is mm-hmm. a, like... It's a a a team. I would say not necessarily built around the superstars. Worth remembering, Cristiano Ronaldo is not like on the field when the final whistle goes when they win when they win the title. There, I, I so I take your point. But did you see that level of grit and that level of fight in this Portugal team? Uh, hang on, Ronaldo wasn't on the
2: field, but he was coaching them. He did he, he did assume roles <laughs> of the co- head coach <laughs> when he when he got injured. So let's not forget that. I, I poor think, Fernando you know, Santos. We, we saw. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we saw. Um, uh, that, that previous Portugal team and, and Portugal teams have all sort of grinding out wins yeah. almost Steve Bruce style as we've mentioned uh, previously here but it just seems that they've, they've added a lot more flair to this team as well and they're very solid they're very well organised I could just see them just grinding through a tournament they're a good tournament team aren't they?
1: They are. There's still Pepe there. Don't worry, folks. Pepe will never not be there. Pepe
2: 37 years old. He sure is. And I think he's captaining uh, Porto now. It's incredible stuff for Pepe. He's still looking as athletic as ever. And if we're going to talk about the centre-backs, Ruben Diaz, a very encouraging performance for Man City as well because he looked looked like he was uh, in control
1: absolutely. And I think that that back line, the midfield, the the front line, even Rui Patricio in goal, I think it is a Portugal team that I would say it is a, it is a little bit different than the last uh, Euros team because to me they're better like across the board. Yes, Ronaldo's older, yes, Pepe is older, but Joao Felix starts this game is if not starting to find form, is still just an incredibly promising player that has already gotten that big move. We'll see what happens there. But Bernardo Silva playing on the right side with Cristiano Ronaldo on the left. William Mm -hmm. Carvalho still there. Danilo Pereira in the middle. Bruno Fernandes, lest we forget, a part of this uh, Portugal team as well. Yeah. Definitely not Brazil. So I think... (laughs) To some extent, I look at this result as like the two teams that I would not be surprised meeting in the final. And then we see how that final could go with some very, very good attacking teams, but very good defenders looking to balance each other out, but not looking to overcommit. In some ways, I thought this was a good example of what we'll get in the maybe semifinals of the upcoming Euros.
2: And you, do you notice how we're framing this all in terms of the Euros and not the Nations League? Yeah. We're not talking about the Nations League final, which Portugal got to last time. <laughs> this, this is us. true. Thus, further <laughs> ramming home how unimportant this tournament really is. I'll
1: yeah, I mean, me. I mean, Daryl, like Daryl, has always been the one on the show who was much more excited about the Nations League. I came okay. around a bit this time round with the season as it is and the way it's going to play out. It feels more of a distraction than an exciting new sort of adjustment to friendlies because. The arguments I've seen as to why these games still went ahead is that, well, if they'd been friendlies, maybe they wouldn't have even though they played friendlies in September and October, but whatever. Like if it was friendlies, that would be one thing, but it's Nations League games, so we've got to get these in. their official competitions. They matter, except that the weird thing about the Nations League in the first place was to remove meaningless friendlies. So, so, so to some extent, it's like, well, we have to play these because we said we have to play these is essentially yeah. the argument in my mind.
2: That that I think you've got it in a nutshell there, yeah, definitely. And maybe some uh, some out of the box uh, non Yogi love haircut thinking could have uh, changed that situation. But here we are. <laughs> and to give a note on France as well, I thought you know this was an impressive performance from them as well. They defended very well. I enjoyed watching Benjamin Pavard charging up and down. Uh, Mbappe and Griezmann for- forced a couple of really good saves. But I'll say Mbappe particularly was controlled by Diaz very well in this game as well. So this was pretty even affair as the stats can attest to and just as i say a further showing that this portugal team can go toe-to-toe with anyone
1: yeah yeah so i i, I made, it made me despite it being a goalless draw it still made me very excited to see more from both of these teams mm. which we will because we've got more nations league this week i think france have croatia i forget i think portugal i think it was sweden i forget the groups which again is sort of a condemnation of the nation's it sweden, league yeah. or just me you know my lack of paying attention you're just uh, being
2: very rude about the swedes it is sweden <laughs> don't forget them i i
1: never would i never could let's talk one more game for a moment uh ryan you had poland italy in the show notes but i'm wondering if you have more than maybe one minute uh of content to say uh
2: so this sentence is this game appears to have been a waste of everyone's time was that a minute <laughs> Did I get it.
1: So what do you mean, I didn't see this game? What did you uh, not enjoy about this one?
2: Uh, I, I, for full disclosure, I only watched the uh, extended highlights of this one. It just mm-hmm. seemed like there was a lot of complaints from B- Roberto Mancini about a bad pitch that this was being played on a bad field. It seemed like Italy struggled to create chances a lot in this game, and just just, uh, you know, we only get so, hour, so many hours in our wonderful weekends in this lifetime Taylor, and mm-hmm. this was 90 minutes that maybe wasn't best spent for those who attended.
1: Uh, Yeah, from what from what I heard of the pitch conditions, it reminded me my high school team would not cut the grass for the week before we played a team that was much better than us because it would always slow them (laughs) down. (laughs) And then we could also like one of the things we learned is the grass would hold up so we could just punt the ball long and they would think it was going out of bounds, but then it would slow up and stay in so we could use that to our advantage. Maybe that's what Poland were doing as well. I hope they went for uh, inner city high school tactics.
2: I can remember that's not just a high school tactic because I remember I believe it was the opening day of the 96-97 season. Wimbledon, my team, uh, we hosted Liverpool and it was like one of those sunny August days, first day of the season. Everyone's very excited. But when we got to the stadium and we saw the players warming up, we noticed that the grass looked really long. Like literally it was like almost coming up to like half of where the ball was when it was being passed. (laughs) And Liverpool obviously at this very, uh, at, at the time, they, they pass the ball along the floor a lot, which wasn't necessarily what everybody did in the mid-90s. And Wimbledon were very much a get the ball in the air and get it directly to the front line kind of team. And we won that game 1-0. And it was pretty obvious that the field had something to do with that.
1: Hey, man you got to be practical. It's all about practicality when it comes to getting those results. That's what tournament football has taught us. That's what the Nations League has taught us? Question mark? Uh, We'll talk more Nations League in a second. We'll talk a little bit of uh, Common Bowl as well. But first, let's talk about today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. We've got a new one, Ryan Bailey. It's Credible.com. Credible.com is an online marketplace that allows borrowers with student loan debt to see refinancing rates across a variety of lenders. Credible would like people with student loan debt to come uh, check out student loan refinancing rates, find a rate and a lender that works for them, and ultimately refinance their student loans.
2: Essentially, tay if you've got a student loan debt, mm-hmm. you could benefit from Credible. There are lots of benefits to refinancing what are benefits, to your student Ryan? loans. Tell me those benefits. I'll, I, I shall outlay them for you right now. Thank you for asking. With a lower rate, you could save on interest or lower your monthly payment, which means more money in your pocket. You can get debt-free faster. You can consolidate all your student loan bills into one place. That gives you serious peace of mind. Credible customers have given awesome reviews about how much their financial lives have been after refinancing.
1: Some benefits of using Credible to refinance your student loans are that you see actual pre-qualified rates for multiple lenders, whereas with some online marketplaces, you'll get ranges of rates or ballpark estimates, and it only takes a couple of minutes to check rates and it does not impact your credit, does not impact your credit, emphasizing that. They're so confident they have the best rates that they'll give you a $200, they'll give you $200, excuse me, if you close a loan with a better rate elsewhere. They will also never sell your data and you won't receive spam or phone calls from dozens of lenders.
2: The right. Well, how do we do this, Taylor? How do we get involved in this? I'm going to tell you right now. You've got to visit credible.com slash TSS. That's C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash T-S-S. Almost like a chant there. (laughs) And then you can refinance your student loan via Credible. And once again, as Taylor said, they'll give you a $200 gift card. Fill in a few pieces of info to check what rates you are eligible for. Again, that's credible.com slash TSS. Refinancing your student loans and starting to save couldn't be easy. Easyacredible.com slash TSS, baby.
1: A uh, message from Credible Operations, Inc. Not available in all states. Terms and conditions apply. Visit Credible.com slash TSS for details. Thank you to Credible for sponsoring today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mac Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Roman for sponsoring today's episode. Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Austin Powers like inspired a whole generation of people gonna say, to explain anybody, away their issues does
2: anybody ever say i lost my mojo baby <laughs> like would not not think of austin powers
1: I I don't think so. I feel like you would have to put the English accent on it, or at least, you know, like put on some glasses or snarl your teeth a little bit. Uh, But (laughs) the key point there would be that we kind of explain it away, people explain it away, not realizing that it's a more common issue. It's just a slightly awkward one to talk about, which is why it's sometimes awkward to do these ad reads. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet.
2: With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping.
1: Uh, so go to getroman.com slash TSS today. That's TSS, and then you should do it today. Uh, if approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of erectile dysfunction treatment. That's getroman.com slash TSS. Getroman.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Roman for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Ryan Bailey, let's stay with uh, the UEFA Nations League for a moment. Shall we talk about Spain?
2: Shame. All right.
1: Spain, but but not Switzerland is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Spain with a 1-0 win over Switzerland. Another result similar to Germany that was, like, good on paper, a good result in a challenging time, but it doesn't necessarily inspire. Is that a fair way to phrase this one?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say this is a terribly inspiring game. Uh, this one, the, when whenever Spain plays Switzerland, it always reminds me of that first game of the 2010 World Cup when uh, Switzerland beat Spain 1-0. Oh, we were, yeah. like, writing off Spain. And then they did something rather special in that tournament it turns out so this wasn't quite the same story in this one the score going the other way uh what else are we going to say about this game? <laughs> I liked seeing Ansu um, uh, Fati uh, getting a start, and also Adama mm-hmm. Traore got, um, mm-hmm. got on the field for this one as well. Although not, as ESPN FC noted, at the same time, so on the same flank. So that would have been interesting maybe to see them both play together. But uh, I don't know. Not a, not a super exciting game this one. Either. I thought you were pumped about Sergio Ramos, man. So great?
1: I thought you were pumped
2: about Sergio Ramos. Well, I'm always pumped about Sergio Ramos. Obviously, there was one moment which uh, kind of highlighted how brilliant Sergio Ramos is. The wh- wh- how would you describe that tackle, Taylor? Is it a, a backstop tackle or a, a, a reverse think heel like, tackle?
1: I feel like I always call it the scorpion tackle, which is incorrect because the scorpion what is more of that scorpion kick. But it's whenever you like you have your plant foot and you use. Like so, in this case, I think it's what he has: like his left foot facing the player, and then he uses his right foot to reach around the left foot to block uh, yeah. uh, the ball coming in. It's a really good, like, defensive approach. Like, and people will use it, I think, as a way to sort of like bait a player into cutting back, and then you're there for it. Except that this wasn't even that; it really was just Sergio Ramos. I think. It wasn't a deliberate thing just in the moment. It was like, oh, he's going to do that. This is the only way I can defend it, so I'm going to throw a leg at it. And it absolutely works because he's Sergio Ramos.
2: It did look like he'd taken a step too far and the player had cut in and turned in. Maybe it was a deliberate move to do that, but he did stick out his leg like it was sort of a yoga pose. Not only did he completely cleanly win the ball, but the leg extension also completely took out the player as well. It was so functional. It was wonderful to see. It was. uh, Ramos actually has tweeted it. He's tweeted it with the line, access denied. Yes. Uh, so I'd yes. encourage you to look at Sergio Ramos's uh, Twitter feed uh, to see the most handsome man in the world do the most handsome tackle in the world.
1: I love it. Um, I would say we forgot that Andrey Shevchenko is the manager of Ukraine. I would say for people who don't remember, Luis Enrique, uh, formerly of Barcelona, is the manager of Spain. And I think you could sort of see his influence in the way this game played out, because it's uh, Spain counter-pressing, pressing high up the field, forcing uh, Sommer, uh, the Switzerland goalkeeper, into a bad pass. Slash-Gredit Chaka loses his footing. Spain uh, capitalized very, very, very quickly. Uh, Mikel Moreno picks up the ball, plays it into Mikel uh, Oyarzabal, who, it's a really good finish, just turns and I believe, one time finishes it across his body into the, into the far corner. Yeah. And that's in the 14th minute, and kind of from that point on, you could see that Spain like, all right, now you have to come beat us and we're not going to make that easy. So I felt like Spain were, were, were decently good in possession. They don't in my mind create that many more like clear cut chances that this it's not the type of game that should have ended 4-0 but was only 1-0. But I think for Spain it was a sort of comprehensive victory if not necessarily the most inspiring. And yeah. then you have like the other pieces being added as you said on Tufati but then Dama Traore comes in uh, looks looks like Dama Traore and does it. A- domitriori things and has an instant impact in creating a little bit of a spark so i think there are also reasons for optimism uh if you are a fan of spain
2: yeah there are reasons for optimism but also i'd say maybe let's counter that with some reason for pessimism as you say Mm -hmm. there was some good counter pressing to start with but they did kind of sit back on it for a lot of the game a lot of the sort of things we've criticized spain for recently you know having lots of possession but just doing lots of fairly meaningless sideways passes not trying to pick out those players going forward not enough sort of players who would take on uh, other players 1v1 which is maybe where Fatih and Triari are are exciting additions but uh, you know it it just seems like there was a lot of uninspiring passages of play let let me put it like that not not super Mm -hmm. positive play from Spain but it was functional because it got the job done and one other interesting observation I'd say Taylor is the lack of Real Madrid slash Barcelona players who currently make up this Spain team so we had what Busquets, Ramos, fatty and sergio roberto mm-hmm. that as a percentage of players coming from the two best teams in spain is quite low i would argue from recent years what was it?
1: what was the number again
2: so it would be busquets ramos fatty and sergio roberto so mm-hmm. starting was it two of them yeah wow
1: that's a sign of the times for sure yeah. i wanted to ask you a question about inspiring football Like you said, this wasn't so inspiring from Spain. What does that look like to you? Is it is it a lot of the ball? Is it a lot of chances? Is it a lot of goals? Is it individual performances? Like what makes a, a a a performance at this sort of competition inspiring to you?
2: uh to me it's less making the passes not be less sideways and backwards and mm-hmm. making a bit more pen- had doing more with the possession being a more penetrative with the possession that makes i think sense. Is, yeah. it what is what defines it for me maybe that's me being a bit of a luddite and not understanding the spanish art project here Here's but, uh, the
1: thing though man because how much more do you have to say about this game by the way Very little. (laughs) All right, because it's a good transition, one that I did not see coming, but works really well, to Norway for Romania nil. Yes, it's Norway. Yes, it's Romania. It is not Spain playing a a good Switzerland team. But it is a lot of vertical passing from Norway that I saw. And I I take your point that in these types of games, you need that player who will play those passes and take some risks and sort of make his teammates start to play that way too and change the way the game is being played, change the, the momentum, uh, the pace of the game a little bit. I saw that a lot in Norway uh, taking apart Romania, who, again, not the strongest of opponents, but it's a hat trick for Erling Holland. Uh, now has six goals in three games in the Nations League, so he's doing just fine. Mm. But The first goal, especially uh, for people who have not seen it, felt like uh, maybe a view into the future of Real Madrid because it's Martin Odegaard getting the ball at midfield, splitting, I want to say four, maybe five Romanian defenders playing it perfectly into the path of Holland, who takes a touch, finishes well, finishes very cleverly. He has a rifled finish at the end. He has a tap in midway through off of another sort of very unselfish pass from Martin Odegaard. But it was a lot of Norway punishing Romania and being pretty aggressive in their passing and taking big chances. So I think that is really a good example of what you're talking about, of a team that are sort of trying to make things happen, are playing a bit more inspiring football and getting a big result. It made me excited to see what Norway do, both in the Nations League, but more specifically uh, in the Euros to come.
2: Yeah, definitely. I've always had a soft spot for Norway uh, for various reasons. But if you look back in Norway's history, they are... Traditionally, a very direct team. When they mm-hmm. were under, say, Egil Olsen in the nineties, it was always this is like the Christmas tree formation. Always, always playing the long ball. Always getting it forward to the to the, to the big front man. Erling Haaland would have fitted that system very well indeed. Um, so, it, this, so that sort of continued with them here. And as yeah. you say, a pretty good performance. from Erling Haaland getting a few assists with uh, Martin Odegaard as well. That's a nice, neat little combo. Yeah. And I didn't really frame it as a a, a, Ra- a future of Real Madrid situation, but you are bang on there
1: right it, it It just feels like if they continue to perform the way they were. I would not be surprised if that continues to turn Real head a little bit of like, okay, we got Odegaard in there. He's our, he's the number 10. He was wearing the number 10 shirt on the day. Uh, but And I should also say, like, not to just give credit to those two players, the big names. Uh, Alexander Sarloff gets a goal, plays very well. Sander Berga starting in the middle for Norway. Uh, Ayer, I never know quite how to pronounce uh, his name, the central defender, but I do my best. There is... A lot of talent in that Norway team, aside from just those top two performers, because we do often get those teams that have one or two huge players, Poland, looking in your direction with Lewandowski, but mm-hmm. don't have the pieces necessary to help them perform more consistently. Uh, that That's with Poland being one of the top-seeded teams, I think, at the 2018 World Cup, but... I think you get what i mean uh with norway i think they've gotten more pieces and more pieces coming through that uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm pretty excited to see where they go i'm assuming that we'll get some promotion from them but who knows who knows what will happen but we'll be back to talk about that if and when it does occur let's spend our final little bit of time together ryan on this day talking about common bowl
2: that would be my delight i suppose at a... i never
1: quite know how to pronounce
2: that one con So is it yeah. all right
1: uh should we talk argentina should we talk brazil where should we start
2: Dealer's choice, sir.
1: Let's go with the big results. Uh, Brazil 5, Bolivia 0. Although Argentina-Ecuador, uh, 1-0 win for Argentina, also a good result. But Brazil, oh boy. I've, I felt like this was a direct parallel to Neymar playing against bad teams in League 1 with BSG and Neymar mm-hmm. playing a bad team in Common Ball with Brazil. Because he he had some fun in this one. Brazil Felt like had a lot of fun in this one, and again, this was another sort of instance of a lot of established names, some names that I was like, oh, right, yeah, that person's Brazilian, and then some names I had never heard of, but all coming together to destroy their regional opponent 5-0.
2: Yeah, and on the oh yeah, that person is that nationality by the way Joshua King coming on for Norway that one always gets me <laughs> but, uh, Right. <laughs> getting back to Brazil and, and this 5-0 win yeah, lots of very familiar names on here mixed with some less familiar for for uh, us western soccer viewers but a, a, a pretty enjoyable game particularly from Neymar's perspective as you say didn't get on the score sheet but got a couple of assists some really really good interplay between him and both Coutinho and Firmino, Firmino as well mm-hmm. I think the third goal, the Firmino goal was a delightful delightful little pass through from Neymar to, to make that one happen so that was a uh, it just looked like they were having a really good time out there in this one
1: uh, and then I would say that the emergence of Aston Villa again Ryan Bailey we're, we're, we're seeing Villa just have impacts all over the place uh because Douglas Luiz involved in this game I think I'm correct in saying gets an assist or at the very least is heavily involved in the build-up to one of the goals but yep. playing passes from deeper, winning tackles, being sort of steel in that midfield for Brazil alongside Casemiro, Coutinho looking uh, again revitalized, looking happy to be playing with Brazil. Everton not playing for Everton, but playing for Brazil, and 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 doing lots of stepovers in in the the corner, but again not stepovers that were. Needless, It was just sort of a comprehensive performance from Brazil. You could see uh, Chi-Chi celebrating every single one emphatically. It yeah. was just a nice reminder that Brazil are always fun.
2: It's always fun when you've got a player called Everton, another one called Weverton as well. I find that very <laughs> fun. <The> goalkeeper, <laughs> interestingly, keeping uh, Edison on the bench for this one for the entirety. I did not think of that. Wow, yeah. that's that's big time. Who
1: is uh forgive me Villa fans, who is the Scottish midfielder who plays for Villa and started for Scotland as they got their result? Uh McGinn. Yes, John McGinn. I'm just saying, England need to follow suit. Because Scotland play a, a, a key performer for Villa, they get a result. Brazil do the same, they get a result. I guess England still got the result, but maybe that's where the Jack Grealish come, comes back in. Put, put yeah. a Villa player in and you win. That's what we've learned this past
2: weekend. <laughs> just put a Villa player in it. That's the Argentina
1: it. did not play a Villa player, but they still won. Uh, this is one of those where I, it seemed a little bit to me like maybe they're a beneficiary of their not being fans in the stadium because this did not feel, again, like a very impressive game. It wasn't the most fun to watch. I think part of that was the way Ecuador chose to approach it, which was being very, very physical and knocking Argentina around. But I I did wonder, it being 1-0, if we would have gotten some booze, if there would have been less happiness about this result, if it had been a full stadium as opposed to an empty one.
2: I think that's a fairly certain Life you yes <laughs> i would say so yeah but uh, uh getting uh, getting a 1-0 win here from the penalty spot as well who else but leona messi stepping up for this one was it a 4-3-3 they were playing here taylor i think it was wasn't it
1: yeah it was something approximating that it's always tough with that like front three of like is it a 4-3-1-2 is it a 4-3-2-1 yeah. but yes roughly it was that shape
2: yeah well, I think that worked. It seemed to work out pretty well mm-hmm. from, from the extended highlights I watched. This is another one, I must confess, I didn't watch the full match. But another observation, Ecuador's kits are lovely. Those blue shoulders, oh, yeah, serve me the, up some of that. And if we're going to talk about kits, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. I'll go back to Portugal. What Can we have a discussion, a very brief discussion about those Portugal kits? The white with the green and red stripes, which are only on the front. I couldn't decide whether it was really bad, like Christmas wrapping paper, or I really liked it. <laughs>
1: What did you uh, did you stay d- divided, or did you come away with a, an answer?
2: I'm still divided. I'm still there's a, <laughs> a there's a there's a Portugal kit dichotomy running through me this instant.
1: I don't I don't hate it, although you know we know horizontal stripes make you look a little bit wider, and for international footballers who who want to look svelte at all times, maybe, maybe that will will be a thing that holds them back. But no, I think. I like the, uh, the, the accents. I like throwing in the random, like the green in there with Portugal. I know that is like one of their, uh, usual colors, but the dominant white with like, like, like lines of green and lines of red. I'm, I'm into it. I'm less into, as long as we're going with the, the kits, Germany's, just because to me, it routinely looks like Spa- uh, France's, uh, historic one. Like the, the white with uh, the lines, it just looked a little bit French to me. And there were moments when I was like, oh, France, are- oh, wait, no, this is Germany. This is not France. I'm confused again. That I was might just make be another World silly. War Two
2: joke, but I'll leave it out this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I would say Ecuador's uh, kits were maybe inspiring. They're defending less so. I just wanted to call out Purvis uh, Estupinian. I think is how you pronounce that one. Estupinian. Uh, he was the one who conceded the penalty uh, that led to the uh, the penalty for uh, Lu- <laughs> Luis Suarez. Nope, Leo Messi. <laughs> uh, Lucas is taken out there. Uh, there is one angle in which it looks like uh, Estupinian gets the ball and not the man but every other one it, he just clearly takes out lucas acampos like cobra kai style like sweeps his legs and i just love that the entire ecuador team seems so like chagrined by this one i don't know if that was them just sort of being revved up for the moment and maybe that again is part of what you have to be when you're playing a physical game like that but it was just i draw attention to that just because it was so silly to me to see everybody so up in arms about a moment that was so clearly a penalty uh so that was one of the moments that stood out to me in an otherwise uneventful game
2: they're quite a physical team aren't they ecuador
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And especially when playing at home, uh, which Uruguay will find out, there are common bowl games this uh, Tuesday. Ecuador hosting Uruguay, Chile hosting Colombia, Chile not off to the strongest start in a draw with, I believe, Peru. So they will obviously want to get the result there. Ecuador are always difficult at altitude at home for Uruguay. So I think we'll see a physical at altitude team uh, for Ecuador. How Uruguay respond to that will be fascinating. Uh, But that will be for games tomorrow and later on of the week. For now, Ryan, any other games that you wanted to talk about from this past weekend
2: i am contented we've had a wonderful chat about the weekend the international break which i once again will reaffirm i love (laughs) all right well uh, i
1: will leave you on that happy note but ryan bailey thank you for taking all the time to talk all of the games today
2: always a pleasure never a chore.